Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Uh, to kick this one off, I just want to give an update because I've had a lot of people show interest in the beginner species video I'm doing. Well, it's coming along. It's the, the biggest issue with it right now is a lot of times when I do my videos, I do the record, the, the narration is done on the fly. I don't generally work from a script. I will sometimes have notes on the table, but they're more like hit this point, hit this point. Uh, a lot of that comes from my teaching where very early on we had, a, you know, when we're learning about teaching, they uh, tell you to do lesson plans and some of them actually have you script out exactly what you want to say. And I'm sorry, real life isn't like that. And when you're teaching kids, it's definitely not like that. So I found that I was much better going in with an idea of the points I wanted to cover and being able to go at it naturally and more organically as opposed to a scripted response I, I, or scripted performance. I, I don't perform well like that. My stuff, I, I always feel like the ones that I'm reading from sound very stilted, even more so than usual. So with this one, I do have to do a script for it because there's a certain flow I want to it. It's going to be a lot different than some of the videos I've done before and not like I'm going to go ahead and change my whole format. I like the way I do things. I could go and do more fancy editing and all that stuff, but it's not, it, it just isn't what Tom's Big Spiders is or has become or what people appreciate. So there's not going to be a big change there. However, I do think it's some of these videos you know are going to get more play than others. It's one of the things I've learned is certain things you can kind of anticipate now when you put them out that, all right, this is going to capture a wider audience. And sometimes what happens is you put one out and a couple of years down the line, you look at it like, man, if I knew some, you know, if I, sh I knew a lot of people were going to be seeing this, I should have done better. So I want to make sure this is a fun one, kind of a, it'll be for a lot of people an introduction to my channel. I think a lot of folks who come on and, you know, find me, find me from my beginner species ones or my sling videos. And it wouldn't hurt to spice things up a little bit. So I'm not going crazy, but I do have a flow to it I want. I want it to be a little more fun than some of the other stuff I've done to kind of, you know, again, these are people coming in for the first time that might not have watched any videos before about tarantulas. We want to give them a good look. So anyway, I think right now the actual written portion of it is around 3,000 words and I still have six species left. Fortunately, when I read, because of the speed I usually talk at, it'll go by much quickly. I've timed them. They're about a minute and a half each, minute, minute and a half each for each spider. But there's a good deal of text to get down and trying to come up with unique wording for, you know, beautiful, gorgeous, brilliant, you know, sterling, all the different words you'd come up with to describe spiders is taking a little while. So anyway, still excited about doing that one. The other one I'm working on now, and again, I know this is the podcast, folks, but a lot of you guys cross over and, you know, I've been hearing from more people that just found me from the podcast to go over to check out the videos every once in a while because, again, the podcast, I absolutely love. Videos, I am, I'm able to demonstrate. You know, words are one thing. Seeing somebody do it are totally different. I know some folks come over, but one of the things I want to do is kind of a comprehensive list of starting with somebody just looking at getting into the hobby, some of the things they need to know. Uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is kind of a glossary or an FAQ for folks who are getting into the hobby for some of the terms that we throw around. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've used the word sling. I'm so used to doing it. It's a slang term. It's kind of a nonsense term because it's it's based off of spiderling, which is something we kind of use for the hobby to address the babies. And well, folks will come on and go, that's great. This is awesome. So can you please tell me what a sling is? So there's a lot of stuff we just throw around that we're all used to talking about because obviously every hobby has its own language. And I think some folks would appreciate an introduction. And then one of the ideas I want to do, and I'll be trying to do, and again, a lot of these, I actually start off the ideas through the podcast. So some of the things I did, like what you need to know if you're getting into a tarantula hobby, I did a podcast a while back. 
and some of the things you need to think about. I've never translated to a video, so I like having versions of both. One of the things I'd love to do is something with just all the different enclosure types because it seems to be something people get hung up on and they don't realize how much stuff, you know, again, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. So if something works and you know it works, feel free to try it out. But I think a lot of people are afraid to experiment and look at some of the things that are out there. Plus, I think a lot of the videos that are made for husbandry, folks will present the one thing they use and go, this is the great, this is the one you should use for the species. And I think that can be misleading because there's many other things out there. So it usually begs the question, okay, can you only use that? Because people getting into the hobby for the first time, they don't know. They look at that and they go, all right, well, that's apparently what people use and, and they'll use it. And that's the one thing I've noticed with the YouTube videos is that a lot of folks will look at that first video and go, oh, this guy or girl seems to know what they're talking about. I'm going to do exactly what they do and they emulate them. And that can be great when the person's info is good. It can be not so great when the person's info is not good. I want to give people a choice and, and show all the stuff that's out there. So I know I just did the video on fossorial species, which was very well received. I was very glad about it. And one of the things I try to do is show different variations of things I use, but I'd love to take that a step further and go, all right, here we go. Terrestrial, this is what you have available. Uh, boreal, this is what you have avail uh, available. Fossorial. Once again, here's what you can use and do a lot, you know, give people a lot of options. I did something like this a while back for a video, but it, gosh, it had to be like four years ago. So I really want to visit that. So anyway, just some goings on with the channel. Now, as far as the podcast is concerned, we hit a new high last week. So again, I want to thank everybody that's listening. I'm actually... I don't know, I just, again, love the website, a lot of pride in the website, a lot of pride in the YouTube channel. This one, I don't know, there's just something about this one, it's like my personal baby, and, and it's weird because I didn't even know if I wanted to do it at first, but to see it pick up the audience has been great, and it means I'm on the right track, and I'm picking up more and more listeners each week. I'm watching the average video counts go up, and again, I normally don't obsess over this stuff, so like the YouTube videos, it's usually my daughter or one of my students or something, and they'll be like, hey, by the way, you're at this, because I just don't, it, there's no point in getting into it, but this one, I kind Everyone, I'll admit it. I look at the page every once in a while and see, you know, how many people we have because it's, I don't know, it's just been encouraging to know that it, it's found an audience, especially, again, with something I didn't think was going to. So to kick this one off, a couple topics right off the bat that I want to talk about. One, it came up recently talking to a buddy of mine about, um, I won't get into the actual situation, but we started talking about the fact that it's a hobby is incredibly addictive. Everybody will tell you that. And a lot of us find ourselves going from having just a couple tarantulas to next thing you know it, we have a whole shelf to several shelves to, in some cases, an entire room full of them. I can remember clear as day sitting down the first time I started really getting into the hobby and starting to think about getting more species and starting to do some research. And Billy was there. And there's a joke in the house. My 24-year-old is constantly giving me a hard time about the fact that I'm constantly trying out new hobbies. He's like, he, he jokes about it to his friends, like, yeah, my dad, at least twice a year, he's, he's found a new hobby. And I think for me, I, I, I think part of it's I enjoy research and learning things. I need to keep stimulated that way. And, and some hobbies, you know, I try out, I learn a little bit about them and I go, eh, not for me. And then some of them like this one, for example, I'm in it for the, I'm not going anywhere. I love it. I absolutely love it. There's always stuff to do. So one of the things I was doing was sitting down and Billy's like, oh, here we go. You know, a new hobby. This is going to turn into something huge. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, then after several hours of just researching some of the species that were out there, finding out that you could buy them online, because again, I'm in a state where we can't sell them in pet stores or in public venues. I remember turning to her and going, oh, I'm going to be honest. I can see myself probably having like, you know, 25, 30 of these at some point. And I think right now I'm at, oh boy, maybe 200, 100, 180. I don't, I don't generally don't go and count and I have a lot of males. So the population is going to be going down, but 
it obviously blew up larger than that. And it blew up fairly quickly for me where it was like I, I picked up two slings and I picked up some more slings. I picked up a couple of adults. So I think within a year's time, I probably had 40, 40, 50 maybe. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in this situation where suddenly you go from having a few to if you have the means, obviously it can be a pricey hobby, it can be an expensive hobby, but if you have the means, that collection can explode. And I think a lot of us, and we've addressed this in previous podcasts, but I do think it bears repeating and I I do have some more insight on it. A lot of us hit that point where we realize it's becoming unwieldy and it can't, that's, that's a big issue with the hobby. So I think it's important, you know, I was talking with a buddy of mine, Lewis, about, you know, just a situation where something unfortunate happened. And I won't, again, I'm not going to get into the whole meat of it, but we're talking about the fact that we're very careful, you know. He knows exactly how many he can keep. I know where I'm at right now. I, I think I've alluded before it about two years ago. I ended up getting a bunch of slings in at once. And uh, then I had placed another something. Basically, a, a good deal fell in my lap. I got a bunch of slings. And then another good deal fell in my lap. So I found myself increasing my collection by, I think it was close to 40 slings, which that's that's a collection unto itself. And I remember unpacking them and doing, we were doing the rehousings for the second batch. And that was the first time I started getting anxiety. And for me, it's important for me that my tarantulas remain that happy place, for lack of a better term, that sanctuary, that place where I can, you know, when I'm working with them, I'm relaxing. I can't ever have them turn into something that's a stressor. Like I have enough stress in my life right now. I'm back to school. It's going to be a heck of a year. And I need them to be something I go home to and like, you know what? I am stressed out tonight. I'm going to, you know, feed some tarantulas. I'm going to, you know, videotape a couple tarantulas or whatever. And it's very important that that never turn into a stressor. And I think there was a point where I was getting those in where I was starting to freak out. And then I was obsessing. I was having nightmares that I would, one reoccurring nightmare I have where I, it's kind of my subconscious way of telling me that I'm worried about that I'm not spending enough time with my animals, is that I go into the transfer room and find something that's been dead for months and I didn't know about it. And I get this one, different variations of it. Sometime I had one where we found a whole basement and I walked down the basement and there was all animals there that I'd forgotten about for like a year. And obviously they were all dead. And this is like my subconscious telling me you're stressing over the fact you don't feel like you have enough time to take care of these animals correctly. So there was a, a period there where I started kind of downsizing a little bit and I wouldn't take it. I had some great offers. I had people that wanted to send me stuff. I had, you know, a, a couple stuff things came in at Fear Not that I really, really wanted. And a couple more like Dream Spiders. I'm like, you know what? I don't have the room for this right now. I got to wait until some of these mature so I can get them into adult enclosures so I can make some more room and so I can make sure that I have enough time to, to properly, you know, administer to the entire collection. So I think a lot of us find where that point is. And and I think that's important. And again, I'm not going to go into the big, I, I did kind of address the whole thing before, but it's that point where you start, if, if your hobby and your tarantula keeping hobby starts to become stressful because you don't feel like you can find enough time, it's time to slow down for a bit. And sometimes, you know, life changes, for example, for me, it's not, and I know there's probably people out there rolling your eyes, like you're a teacher, how bad can it be? And I'm not going to get into that whole thing, but just know that, you know, sometimes when you're a teacher, you, you know, you're teaching, say, ninth grade English, and you have the same material, you have all your materials, you know, if you've done it for a while, you have all your assignments, and maybe you're tweaking the order, maybe you're going to add a couple things in, but overall, everything you everything you could possibly do is, is pretty much ready, it's just a matter of tweaking. Unfortunately, I have a position where sometimes they tell you, I don't know, a week after school starts that you're going to be teaching something you've never taught before. 
So now you're looking at a situation where you don't have the materials, you don't have the confidence of having done this before. Because I've, you know, I've taught some classes so much I could show up literally asleep and then do, I think, a pretty good job. So that's like a tweak that I have to face every year, and that means more time spent at home working and less time working with my animals. So sometimes things happen; people take on more hours at work. There's a situation where somebody has to take on different hours, and obviously that's unavoidable. And that's one of the pitfalls, you know, we sometimes walk into with the tarantula hobby is life interrupts. I've had people apologize before, like, oh my gosh, you know, I had somebody email me and they just got back to me like two weeks later and they're like, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean to. I had this, this, and this. Like, you don't need to apologize. Life happened. That's fine. If you got back to me, great. If you didn't, I assume something got in the way of it. I didn't take any, you know, wasn't sitting here going, this jerk didn't get back to me. It's It happens. And I hope people respect when sometimes it happens with me. For example, Facebook right now, I haven't been as great on Facebook because I've been trying to find the time to get everything else done. So I can, it, there's situations that arise that unfortunately leave, leave keepers feeling guilty because they don't have the time to give to their animals. And I think that the best advice I can give is if it's going to be a short-term thing or something that you're going to be able to get over quickly, then by all means, figure out a system that you can get it, you know, make sure they're taken care of well and do the best you can until the situation changes. I mean, as long as it, I think a lot of this, it comes down to we obsess over certain, like for me, I, I'm i in there with a flashlight every night and I think a, a lot of people do this. They're in there checking around, but you're not opening every single cage every single day for the majority of us. The, the people that are generally opening every single cage every single day are the ones that have just purchased their first few and they're still obsessing over it. We start to realize that they really, as far as care is concerned, they're one of the easiest pets in the world to take care of because they don't need constant care. We've you know spoken before about people go on two, three-week vacations and as long as the cages have been hydrated, they have water available, they don't need to eat during that period they're going to be fine. So we could go a long time without, you know, messing with them and not put them in harm's way. However, I think a lot of us, we start to develop our own personal schedules for it. And that's where it can start to prey on your, you know, your anxiety a bit is when you're used to doing things like for me, it's every week. I, every week at some point I open those cages, I check every one of them out. I add water, I clean boluses, I feed them if they need it, whatever it may be. And then sometimes, you know, some of my adults, it goes every two weeks, but I do open the cages up every week to make sure everything's okay. Two weeks for the feeding, but I'll open the cages up. When I saw that start to get like, I remember the first time it was like, I went through a whole week and I had only done about half my tarantulas and I was starting to freak out. Now that's my own private schedule. Did I really need to check on them all? No, but I think you have to set your own standard of care. You have to figure out what you're comfortable with doing. I've spoken to, I just spoke to a guy who said, you know, generally he feeds his adults. He's got a bunch of adults. He feeds them once a month. He checks on them all the time, but he feeds them once a month. That works for him. So the idea is if it's your own personal, your own personal schedule that's getting messed up, then Take a step back, reevaluate. Is it really? Are is it really need to panic? Is can your schedule be adjusted? Can it be, you know, every two weeks that you're doing the feedings? Can it be? Can you just go through with a flashlight every night and check them out, make sure everything's okay? Do you have to open them up all the time? I think that's something you really need to to visit. Now, if it comes down to the fact that you're just not able to give them the time they need, so for example, if you go into your tarantula room and realize that something's been dead for several weeks and you didn't notice it, there's probably that's probably a point where you need to have a sit down with yourself and try to figure out if you're doing the right thing by these animals. And I have heard instances and I've and, and some of them are 
I don't, I, I don't want to say excusable, but I, I have heard, been privy to situations where it's like the person was felt extremely, extremely bad about it, and it was a you know an honest to god mistake. But if it's neglect, if it's you know what the thing's been sitting there and I didn't even bother to check on it in the last three weeks, and now I just realize it's decomposing and been dead for a while, that's an issue. That's a point where you need to kind of go, all right. Something's got to change. Either you need to find more time for your hobby or you need to downsize a bit. And I have spoken to people that are like, you know, a a keeper emailed and and unfortunately they're trying to give some stuff away and I just – I don't have the room for it myself right now and I have like a wish list that I'm dying to get to that's on hold until I make some more room. And they're like, I realize that I I love the hobby. I still want to be in the hobby, but I got too many too fast. And now they're starting to grow up because I think that's a big issue that people have is they pick up slings and they take up a little tiny area. Well, some of these species grow quickly. Next thing you know it, your little tiny vial is now a big five-gallon container. And if you've bought 20 of those slings, now that's 20 five-gallon containers, which is a lot of room. So for people that have their own room for the tarantulas, maybe not a big deal. For someone that was keeping them in the bedroom or some shelves on the living room, now we have a problem. Now we have spouses getting upset because their tarantulas are invading the entire living room. That can be an issue. So that's a spot that we kind of run into problems with. But this individual, I thought they were really mature and fantastic about this. You know what? I'm realizing I'm not able, I don't have necessarily the room I thought I was going to have with them. They're growing quickly. And so I'm keeping the ones I really love. I'm leaving myself a little space if something comes along that I really want to pick up, but I need to downsize a little bit. And I think that's, that's very rational, logical, you know, proactive thinking as opposed to getting to the point where it's like, all right, you know what? I don't even like the hobby anymore because this is causing me too much stress. So I do think for those that are getting into the hobby, that are listening to this podcast, that are getting in or at that point where you're making your list, you got it written down, you got it on your phone, you're like, I want this one, this one, this one, and then you realize you got some extra money. Maybe you've noticed one of the dealers has a great deal going. I mean, I know a couple months ago, Fear Not was getting an import in, and I was like, oh my gosh, there was so much on it I wanted, and I just had to put the thing away and not look at it because I have to make sure I have the room for it. But if you're at that point now, this is a very real issue. It's a very real possibility that at some point down the road, maybe even not that long, several months, a couple years, you're going to look at your collection and go, "Uh uh-oh, too much, too fast. So I think part of it is recognizing early on what's going on. Recognize that if you're buying slings, they again, they start off small, they get big, they grow. And you're going to need more space. So if your wife has allotted you the closet, say there's a hallway closet nobody's using, nice little, you know, say we'll, we'll go four by four or so worth of space in it and you just picked up 20 slings, you're probably done because those slings are going to grow up. They're going to need to go in bigger enclosures, and that's going to fill up that closet very, very quickly. So be cognizant of that. And if you're somebody that's in a situation where you have, I know uh, one of the things I fall into, one of the pitfalls I fall into is as a teacher, and this is where you know the good part of teaching that I get made fun of for all the time comes in, is obviously we have the summers off. So in the summer, one year, I picked up a bunch of slings at the beginning of the summer, and it was no problem at all because I had all the extra time in the world to take care of them. However, when fall came around, it was time to go back to school, I immediately realized I might have miscalculated a bit because I didn't have that time anymore. And all of a sudden, you start realizing, oh, where it was very easy to get through all these guys in a week, now it's not so easy anymore. So if you have a seasonal job and you're like, you got downtime, so you're like, I'm going to buy a bunch of things to take care of, please remember that eventually that downtime is going to go away and you're not going to have that time anymore. So I do think it's it's our duty as responsible keepers to admit to ourselves when we've gone 
you know, too far over the edge as far as picking up too many specimens. I do. Th- I don't think that's necessarily something that should be admonished. Like when people come forward and go, oh, I picked up too many. I've seen things where like, oh, you know, you jumped in the hobby way too fast. A lot of us have done it. And a lot of the people that are, you know, ridiculing and, and making fun of people on the boards for doing this have done the same thing. We've all, I, I'm guessing there are a lot of people right now that are listening to this. And yeah, I jumped right in. The trick is recognizing where you're at, recognizing you know, putting limits on yourself and then recognizing if you've gone too far doing something about the situation instead of just keeping a room full of spiders that are causing you stress and that they're currently, you know, languishing and wasting away because they're not getting the attention or care that they need. I think that's very important. And I and I think in situations where we might encounter people on the boards that seem to be kind of overwhelmed, obviously try to help out, be positive about it. You know, hey, I've been there. You know, sometimes you get overwhelmed. I It's somebody that, you know, emailed me and I was trying to get them through because they were they were at that juncture where they were trying to figure out they didn't they love their animals they didn't want to get rid of their animals but they realized they'd probably bitten off more than they could chew and they're like i know you probably think i'm a terrible keeper i'm like no this easily could have been me there was a point where i was literally sitting there going i think i bought too many too fast and i think it's it's you know try to help people out again i in one instance i did offer to post online if they wanted because sometimes well now we can't do it on facebook anymore but you used to be able to post on facebook hey i have a keeper that you know is trying to get a rate uh you know downsize a little bit they're in this area i was able to do that you can't sell on facebook anymore so oh well but i could do it through the videos or the podcast and i tried to help out and this one ended up a uh, family member took a couple of them and then they felt good about it so they were good but again try to be supportive when this happens try to help people out but do offer you know you know what there's places you can go and, and easily get some help people will take your animals they'll buy your animals but if you do find yourself in this situation and this is something people need to realize and it, it kind of bothers me sometimes where it's like you know i really want them to go to a good home and then they slap an exorbitant price tag on them a huge high price tag recognize that if you're in a spot where you have to downsize a bit and you have, or you have to downsize quickly i've had people you know living arrangement arrangements change and they have to get rid of collections or whatever don't expect to get top dollar for them. I had a situation where I tried to kind of broker a deal with somebody and they were incredibly, they're like, I need to get rid of these. I need to get rid of these within a week. Here's my piece of Metallica female, and I want $500 for it. And it was like, oh boy, you're not going to get, and there were a lot of spiders this individual was trying to sell. Be prepared to package deal. Be prepared. Like I can honestly say, and this is me, and I'm a little weird this way, but I, I have this, I've mentioned before, I have this thing about selling the animals like that I, care for. I grew up on a farm. Everything was a commodity. So I had a hard time attaching a dollar amount to animals. I would rather mind go to somebody for free that I knew was going to take care of them. I wouldn't mind. I'm not, unless I got in a spot of financial predicament, you know, well, caveat there, something went really wrong. I need to get money, but I would say, listen, I, I'm trying to raise money here. More often than not, I've given things away before and it's just, I want to know they're going to good home or if it's a male, it's going to a good use and going to get bred. So be, be prepared to be, you know, to not get as much money for them if, that com- if it comes down to that. It's not somebody trying to stiff you. It's just recognizing the reality of the fact that you, you need to move these quickly. If you want them to go to a good home, find somebody that's a good home and then, you know, cut your losses a little bit. But uh, again, I only bring this one up because it pops up quite a bit. And then every once in a while, I'll see a video somewhere or something that reminds me that it's still an issue. I think that the YouTube thing, we've talked about this before, that the folks that do the, you know, what is it called? Pet tube. I think they refer to it as the ones that do animal videos it kind of lends itself to this predicament and i've seen a lot of people over the years that start off with you know modest collections and before you know it they're up in the hundreds and people are sending them stuff and those animals aren't getting the care they need and it's it's upsetting you see how it happens because 
there's always when you're doing YouTube, I think for a lot of folks, there's always that need to do the unboxing videos that are very popular. That that theory that you have to always have new animals and something new. And I just I find it like I have enough now that I could go through and do a video on every single animal I have, which would get me so a couple hundred videos right off the bat. And then by the time I go back and loop back on that, I've picked up a bunch more subscribers who've never seen this before. It's all new people. The people that have seen it before are looking for the update. You don't need to constantly have new animals. So a little advice to anybody out there that's listening to this, that's collecting, that's thinking about doing the YouTube thing. Don't fall into that trap where you think you have to have new animals, you know. Have good information, you know, be true to your personality, and first and foremost, put the animals first. And if you're putting the animals first, it should really, there should be a point where you recognize that you're you're reaching that threshold of animals you can correctly take care of, care of and then you back off from that point on. I wish more people would do it because, again, it's frustrating for me because I do this because I love tarantulas. I love animals in general. I would have a farm if Billy and I were talking now about, you know, possibly doing a dream home and getting some property. And I, a, a lot of people, you know, obviously know me through tarantulas and everything. I was kind of a farm boy growing up. I love animals in general. I love being around animals. I love taking care of animals. It's always been something that calms me down. So for me, it made, when I started doing the YouTube thing, it was more just like show and tell, like look at my animals and, and obviously the educational aspect of it. But it was never about, look at me, Tom Moran, I want to be a famous YouTuber. That part's still kind of foreign to me. So it's, it's, I think it was easy for me just for the perspective I came in on that I didn't even really like YouTube channels. I, I mean, I watch some of them, but I'm not a big YouTube person as far as watching the majority of things I watch are like geeky stuff like, you know, Transformer reviews or I watched the channel Scare Theater was one I watched only because I like that the dude's got great presentation and um some other things like that, but I've never been like into the pet tube stuff. It just wasn't my thing. So it was when I came to this, it was from a kind of an outsider's perspective. But anyway, the point is I've been asked before by people who want to do the YouTube thing. So please keep this part in mind. I think it's going to be very important for you because the temptation is going to be there to keep getting more and more animals. Everybody loves the unboxing videos. And to do unboxing videos, it means you have to bring in more animals. But then you have to ask yourself what happens to the animals after all the fun's done and the novelties weren't off and I posted my video and got my views. You need to care for them. You need to have space for them. You need to have, need, need, need to have the time for them. So, again, something it's kind of it's kind of like a public service announcement, like the old GI Joe things. And now you know, and knowing's half the battle. You have to be aware of the fact that this can happen. You have to be cognizant of the fact that if you're getting to the point where you have too many to take care of properly, and you're feeling that stress, then you're probably right. If you're starting to get that feeling that oh, I don't feel like I'm doing what I should be doing, then you're probably not. So it's time to, you know, make some changes, whether it's just to cut, you know, draw the line there, come up with a new battle plan with how you care for your specimens. That's a good way to do it. You don't have to get rid of anything as long as you can come up with something to compensate for the fact that, you know, your schedules change. But if it gets to the point where it's going to be a long-term thing and you don't think you're going to be able to take care of them all, be ready to get rid of some, be ready to, you know, either sell them or, you know, pass them off to friends. I've had some people like come over, like my kids' friends and stuff. Like I've had things that extra specimens that I didn't need and they've come over and we I've given them away to people. But be prepared to not get top dollar for them. Again, I, I just, if you're in it for a business, fine. I get it. There's obviously, you know, there's a business side to this. There has to be. And, and I couldn't have all the animals I have if there wasn't a business side. But for people that are just keeping a collection, if you find that you need to get rid of it or a, a large portion of it, be prepared to do a package deal. Be prepared to not get top dollar. Be prepared to not get the money you probably 
feel like you should for having raised them for all that amount of time. Look at them as animals, as pets. Would you rather have them go to a good home or sell them for a lot of money and be stuck with them? You know, possibly the ones, you know, stuck with ones you need to get rid of. Take that all into consideration and do what's best for the animals. I think that's it. But bottom line, if you always put the animals first, regardless of what you're doing, personal collection, YouTube video, whatever, you're going to be just fine. If you're doing YouTubes, you're going to be setting a great example for people, which we all appreciate. Yourself, you're going to be able to sleep at night. That's what it comes down to. So anyway, I, I know I've kind of covered that before, but I think it bears repeating. And for our next topic for today, I was recently talking to a buddy of mine, uh, Dan Pompili, who we've chatted for quite a while through YouTube and through email. And Dan, if you're watching, or listening to this, not watching, listening to this right now, and the missus is there, either apologize in advance to her or usher her out of the room. I'm, I'm just kidding. I just, I don't know. I, I know I answered an email once and it was about somebody's spouse. And although they gave me full permission and Dan did say this could be fodder for the podcast, but I guess the wife kind of wandered in and was like, what? And it caused kind of, you know, an uncomfortable situation. So we are going to address it, but I, I will do so tactfully and with all due respect to both parties involved. But to, to make a long story short, Dan wants to get his first old world species. And unfortunately, one of the deals he made before he started out, Dan, am I like airing out your whole laundry here? I feel bad, but I, I feel like I have to give the backstory to this. So hopefully you don't mind. We'll, we'll call him Dan P now, so I won't say your name again. But he really wanted an H. Polker P. I just did a video on it. They're amazing spiders. I talked about I, I talk about a lot how I do think they make good beginner old world species. Dan's obviously got some experience in the hobby. Unfortunately, when he originally started, you know, the hobby, his wife, who is not as into tarantulas, and we did a whole podcast on how to try to convince your spouse or significant other or parent that you should be able to get these. His wife is, he told his wife he would not bring in any old worlds into the house. And now it's up to the point where they have to finish a basement for us to get them in. So unfortunately, Dan does have cats. And as we've addressed, cats are, dogs aren't so much of a problem. I found, and I, I actually haven't, I don't think I've ever heard of an instance of dogs getting into the tarantula cages. I know mine don't pay them any mind whatsoever. And sometimes I'll be in the tarantula room and Molly will come in with me or Brew will come in with me or one of them will just be sitting there on the floor. They don't notice the spiders. They're following dad around. But I know that cats, they, they have that hunting instinct where they see a move and it can be an issue because they'll knock them off cages. I've heard of like, two different instances where cats have opened up OBT cages and although they kill the OBT, the OBT also tagged the cat. So you have a cat in misery. Both cases, I believe the cat survived. But that can be a huge fear for folks who aren't as into the hobby or spouses that aren't as into the hobby that are hearing they have a spider that could potentially harm their pet. Now, I've been very fortunate with Billy that she's, I mean, she was with me early on when we first moved out. We were like kids for crying out loud. We were in our young 20s, lower 20s. And I had a bunch of snakes. I had a couple tarantulas. And she's watched me work with all these animals with no issues. Nobody in the house has ever been bitten. I think I've had two uh, snake escapes my entire keeping career. One was actually recent, which was weird and I screwed up, but one was way back and it had nothing to do with me. Somebody came over and tried to open the cage, left it open, and one of them got out. So I've actually had good results. And I think. A lot of it, she trusts me and my ability to work with these animals. She knows I've been around animals my whole life, so I'm very fortunate in that respect. The only one that I ever picked up that gave her pause is when I got the Phlogius crassipes or Selena Cosmia crassipes, and which is an Australian species that the bites are known to be 100% fatal for dogs. Like if a dog gets bit by it, it's not going to live. And it's many think it's because of the fact the dingoes that they have there were probably natural predators of them, digging them up and trying to eat them. So their venom is, you know, 
particularly potent toward them, whatever it may be, they're dog killers. And that was the one species that, I, you know, I tell her everything when I get a species, I'm talking about it. And that was almost like, yeah, and by the way, these are from Australia. Oh, that's great. You don't have an Australian species? No. And they're really tough to get. Oh, okay. And and the bites are, you know, 100% lethal to dogs. But anyway, and she's like, whoa, hold on, back up. What was that? And I'm like, they're lethal to dogs. So she's like, all right, I'm just going to tell you right now. If one of these gets out and bites a dog, she doesn't have to finish the sentence. I, I know that would not be a good, I love the dog. So it's not like the dogs are hers and they're not mine. I, I would never forgive myself. So I'm like, at this point, I'd already shown that I could keep old worlds. We have, you know, the pokies, the OBT, you name it. We've kept it. And they knock on wood, they've been fine. I have this thing about like, I'm not, I don't consider myself superstitious, but I don't want to ever like look fate in the eye and dare it to, to do something nasty to me because I'm like bragging. None of that hubris here. So anyway, that was the only one that gave her any pause. And and still to this date, when I take something out, I'll say, oh yeah, I'm feeding the crassipes. And she's like, is that the dog killer? But never been an issue about it. So I do think, you know, bottom line, it comes down to this. Are old world species potentially dangerous to pets? They could be. I mean, there's not a lot of information out there as far as them killing pets, but nobody wants to run their beloved pet in anguish. You know, you hear what it does to humans. It's got to do a number on a smaller, you know, animal like a dog or a cat. Nobody wants to be the one running him down to the veterinarian. Hey, he's in excruciating pain because my pet spider bit him. That's a rough one. So I get that. And here's, you know, the, the long and short of it is could an escape happen where one gets out 99% of the time if you're close if you're the type of person that you know has any type of concentration you make sure all your cages are closed after feedings you put them up on the shelf if they're secure if they're insecure cages it shouldn't happen 99% of the time where it's going to happen is during the rehousings and that's what it comes down to and I've said this many many times it's kind of my fallback when people ask me am I ready for this am I ready for this do you have your rehousings down? Do you have a, a secure place that you can transfer them that if they should escape, if they should get out of their enclosure or out of the box that, you know, I use the big Tupperware bins to kind of give myself an extra barrier. If they get out, where are they going to end up? Are they going to end up under a heater and a refrigerator? Is there a pile of kids' toys that they can end up in, which could be a nightmare? Do you have a spot where you feel like that even if they if things don't go as planned, they get out, you're still going to be able to corral them? The issue is, and the thing that freaks people out, and I have been privy to several of these instances over the years, the big fear is, all right, I'm transferring my OBT. It gets out. Sometimes, usually it's slings. You don't hear the adults it happening as much with the adults. Usually those get captured and corralled rather quickly, but the slings. So what'll happen is somebody will be like, you know, Tom, I don't know what to do. I was transferring my OBT sling. It went under the table, ran under the heater. I can't find it. Well, I can tell you this, that in my years of doing this and talking to people, I personally haven't heard of a situation where somebody lost a tarantula and somebody in the household ended up getting bit. I can throw that out there. I've heard of OBTs. Somebody lost an adult HMAC was the big one I can remember that somebody talked to me about. But a lot of slings, unfortunately, slings are usually they either die because they don't have, you know, they dry out, especially in the wintertime. They're going to dry out. They're going to end up in the basement and freeze or they're preyed upon by house spiders. So a lot of times you don't find the slings ever because something munches them or they end up dying. For the larger specimens, they, I can't remember which species it is. Somebody just lost one. I don't believe it was an old, I want to say Pyramenia or something, but it got lost and they ended up finding it later on. But the thing is, more often than not, when they get lost, you just don't find them anywhere. They're not going to come out and attack you. And when you come into a, say there's one in a room, say I'm, I'm looking at my living room right now and I have the TV, I have the couches. If I turn on the lights in the morning, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go under the couch. They're going to go behind the TV. They're going to hide. They're not going to confront. The only situation I can think of where it could be problematic is like I have in my 
my room, my tarantula room, I keep all my shoes there. I have my boots, my shoes, my sneakers. A little pers- I, know, I feel like I'm getting a little personal here. But anyway, I have all my shoes underneath a table in there. And the one thing I thought is if one got out, it could end up hiding in one of those shoes. And then you have an issue because you stick your foot in, you squish it, and it is going to bite you. But more often than not, even if they escape – they're not going out at night trying to attack your family or your animal. They may be out, you know, wandering around at night trying to find food, but as soon as you flick on a light or come out, it's almost like scattering like roaches. So that's really realistically not going to be a huge problem. Bigger specimens usually turn up at some point. You know, I've talked to a couple of people that have found them. Slings, unfortunately, I did. Somebody did lose a sling and found it like a month and a half later. I was shocked because the thing had actually molted in that time and everything. It did really well. So there are situations, especially if your house is warmer, where they could find prey to eat and live. But they're going to hide somewhere. They're not going to be out in the open. So the idea of an old world escaping and immediately becoming a threat to your family, probably not particularly realistic. So that's something you can talk about when you're talking to a spouse about the fact, all right, if one did get out, the chances are I'd be more worried for the spider than I would for anybody in the house. Now, where that becomes an issue, again, obviously, is with the cats and the pets. So the other thing that could be an issue is if you have cats and a spider gets out, you may not, you know, you're going to go on flick on the lights, but that cat may be running around. They obviously have good night vision and they may see that spider out and about and go at it and that could be an issue. So I can definitely understand, you know, the apprehensiveness from a spouse from that, especially for somebody who's not into the hobby. I'm fortunate that Billy like jumps on wholeheartedly with a lot of the stuff I do and gets interested in it herself. She loves animals herself. So it's very easy. But for somebody that, you know, let's call Call it as it is, and we've discussed this before. Spiders aren't necessarily something that most people find attractive or fun or something they want to keep, or you know, they're not top of the list of you know favorite furry pets. So it's very normal for somebody to not want spiders in the house. So my take on it, and Dan, this is kind of to you as well, but that, like you said in your email, this isn't the first time I've I've had this question. For a spouse that doesn't want spiders or isn't interested in them in them to begin with, and they concede to allow you to bring them into a home against probably their better judgment because they they don't have that interest, they find them a little bit frightening. That's a huge battle won right there. And as we talked about in the earlier podcast that I did with how to convert, how to convince mates or you know parents or loved ones to allow you to bring tarantulas into the home when they don't want them there, that's a huge step. And if they allow you to collect more of them, again, a huge step. And I think with most people, what they find, and I know Dan was mentioning that his wife is starting to warm up to them and become a little more interested in them, and uh, and that's and if your wife is sitting there right now giving you the death stare, that's what he told me. This isn't I'm not making this up. So Dan, you're in trouble. I'm just kidding. But I think a lot of us find, a lot of people find that once they get them in the house, the mates turn around. I've had situations, I had somebody, but weirdest situation ever, the person that got into the hobby had to convince his mate to let her, to let him get tarantulas. He's since kind of moved out of the hobby and got into other things, and she's the tarantula person in the house. There you go. So I think a lot of that is that exposure and that, you know, you change opinions by educating, by, you know, tickling that fascination aspect of it where they start becoming fascinated and want to hear more about it. And then it's a progression from there. So if they let you bring them in the house and they didn't and you, they didn't want you to be with, that's huge. You almost don't want to push it by rushing with the old worlds. If they know about and and I'm glad that people are telling their spouses about old worlds because I have been privy to information where 
They're like, yeah, I just picked up an OBT, but I didn't tell my wife. You know, she doesn't know anything about old world, so she doesn't know. That's a little sketchy. That's, you know, that's your spouse. If you have a family, if you have, they need to know what's in that house. God forbid anything happened to you. They need to know that this is a spider. I can't just reach in and go, all right, I'm going to pick this up and hand it to this guy that came from Craigslist to pick it up, whatever. They need that information. That You don't want to do that. You need to inform them. Your, your spouses should be, you know, at least somewhat informed about what you have in the house. But Dan, I think one thing that you said is that you have to have the basement finished. I don't know how far off that is. I've talked to people that, you know, they have to get new houses. There's there's always a stipulation. And I think it's a – from my end, it sounds like a fair one. I get that you really want one right now. But it sounds like that she's a very – she's open-minded enough to start liking the ones you have or at least being interested in the ones you have. It's just going to take some time to convince her that – the whole home is not going to be in danger if you go to old worlds. And again, you can point to the fact that if the worst case scenario, worst case scenario is one gets out. That's what everybody's afraid of. What if one gets out? Chances are, I haven't heard of many situations of one getting out and hurting a pet or a human. The times I've heard of them hurting a pet, the pet has found the spider, knocked over the enclosure, faced off against the spider, got hit. I don't recall, and it's, somebody please chime in and correct me if I'm wrong. It, it's, I guess it could probably happen, but I haven't been privy to a situation where a spider escaped and harmed somebody in the house. So that's something to think about. Another thing to think about. If you have a good spot to rehome them, a lot of people use the bathroom, the bathtub, you know, that's, I don't do it only because it hurts my knees. Honestly, I, I tried it there a couple times. And then when you're filming, that's the one spot, like it just, it echoes my bathtub's kind of like, I don't want people seeing my bathtub, but it's just, I feel like I need to go in there and clean it all up. And then I want to use harsh cleaners because the spiders are going to be in there. But anyway, it's a personal thing, but I know a lot of people that use the bathroom. If you have a room that there's no way the spider can get out of that room and you can demonstrate that to your mate, I'm sure that will help. Honey, look at, watch this rehousing. I'm going to rehouse this species here. Look at, it can't really get up the wall too well. I can cup it quickly. Trust me, it's not going to be in any, you know, we're not going to have any danger of it getting out. That would probably help. Now, before you do that, though, make sure you have your rehousings down because if you go to do the rehousing and demonstrate to your loved one how you can do the rehousing and it's not going to escape and the spider somehow escapes, you're done. You're never getting that whole world species. So just know that. And feel free to show them rehousing videos. I mean, not to pimp my own stuff. Go on, find anybody that's doing a good rehousing because I never want to sound like I'm over here trying to, you know, hey, go watch my videos. But I do a lot of rehousings. I'm about to post one up of Aquila Brachy species electric blue. And one of the reasons I did this one is I had so many people coming on to my Aquila Brachy's videos going, these guys are nasty. They're threat positive, this and that. I've seen minor total sweethearts. I, I, I got it right out, prodded it right out gently in the bum. It went in a catch cup. I put it in the other enclosure and it poor thing sat there all scrunched up in a stress pose not doing anything. So show them some of those videos. Show, look at, this is how easy you can get them over. You can pick any of my rehousing videos with any of my old worlds. I had, I don't think I've had a single escape. I don't know if I've had any threat poses from my old worlds. That would probably help. Go out, find other, and again, don't just take my, you know, um, my videos. Go out, find other videos. Show them those. Just, hey, honey, and don't pressure. I will tell you the big issue that I found with folks that are trying to either get them to let them have tarantulas in the house or make the switch to old worlds as they push too hard too fast. If you kind of do the, all right, this is it. Can I please have them? They say no. Good enough. Take some time. back. And I know it's tough and it's easy. And I will admit freely, it's easy to me to, for me to say because I can literally, I could have grabbed anything I wanted. I remember when I got my OBT explaining to Billy about it. And she's like, well, if you think you're ready for it, that's fine. She didn't second guess me at all. So I'm very fortunate in that respect. But 
the trick is if you start making it an area of contention, it's not going to help anybody in the house. They're going to be upset that you're bringing it up again. You're going to be upset because you're being denied something that you really feel ready for and that you'd love to keep. Nobody wins in that. So the trick is to just kind of forge ahead, maybe pick up some more, you know, if you're not allowed to pick, the funny thing is you're not allowed to pick up old worlds, right? The Salmapia species or Tapanakinius species, I find, are more difficult than the old worlds in some respects to rehouse. So obviously the bites aren't as bad. And we talked about, you know, earlier about why I won't recommend old worlds on a beginner's list. It comes down to the potential of that bite. You have to keep that in mind. But if you've got those species, start doing some of those. Rehouse those. Get, get you know, your rehousings done with the faster ones. And then allow your spouse to see that. Look, at this is one of the... Tom's big spider said, Tom Moran said, this is one of the tougher ones to do. And I just did it no problem. The idea is building confidence. And I think the idea is going to be showing them that in many respects, the, the biggest difference between old worlds and new worlds is that potential for a bite. Because I have old worlds that behave much, much better than my new world counterparts. I can say that with a lot of them. I actually get more fuss from new worlds rehousing them than my old world species. And this has been pretty consistent for years. Not saying they don't have the potential to get riled up, threat pose, bolt, and, and deliver a nasty bite because that's always there. But from my own personal experience, I don't get as... Now it's like when I'm like rehousing, say, for Myctopus. Actually, my Myctopus are pretty well behaved. I'm trying to think of the last thing I think. I think the last one I got a threat pose off that I rehoused was my... Uh, Brachypelma hammeri was the last one that gave me a threat pose when rehousing, and that's obviously one that's considered to be one of the best beginner species. My old worlds that I dig up, I never have an issue with. My Pisolotheria, knock of wood, because I have a bunch of adults I have to rehouse, but usually no issues there. So the point of this is try to be patient. There's nothing to be gained by pushing it. And again, I don't want to you know make it seem like I don't understand how I'm the type of person that if I want something, I want it now. And luckily, I have a wife who is more fiscally responsible than I am that kind of puts the kibosh on it. And that's always the way our relationship is working. It works awesome. So I get the idea. Like if I wanted to get something and Billy said, no, I don't want you to have that right now, I'd probably pout like a little kid. But I get over it. But I think that it sounds like, Dan, in your case, it sounds like eventually she's probably going to warm up to it and relinquish, especially if you get the basement done again. I don't know how far along that is. And, and it sounds to me like that's a reasonable idea. If the basement's going to allow you to lock these guys away, I think with a lot of spouses too, it the big difference is whether or not you have your own space for the tarantula. So meaning if they're in the living room, I think your spouse has every right to go, you know what, you're going to limit it to things I feel comfortable having around me when I'm in the living room. And I'm not comfortable having something that spite could put me in that much pain in our general living area. That I think is totally reasonable. However, for people that have a spot that they know they can keep them in and lock them away and not have kids or pets get to them, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's pretty reasonable. And Dan, you probably want to hit me right now, but it's just my thought process, not knowing, you know, again, if this basement's like my dream house right now, that's probably a long ways off. I get how that could seem like a, a long ways to wait. But I think that in a case where the spouses have shown that they can give, that they can work with you, the trick is to just wait it out and not push it and not turn it into you know something where you guys are in marriage counseling with, what's your problem? Well, she doesn't fulfill my needs. What are your needs? I want old world tarantulas because I, I got a funny feeling. I don't know. I've never been in marriage counseling, but I'm assuming that the counselor is probably not going to take your side on that one. So my, as with trying to convince relatives 
that or you know loved ones or whatever to let them come in a lot of it's going to come down to the education we all think of old worlds at one point as the boogeyman of the hobby some people that's what draws them to the hobby they like the danger i've had people that have told me yeah i got in the hobby to get old worlds because I, i'll admit it i was kind of an adrenaline junkie i wanted the thrill of it and they're actually really not that bad at all and i think a lot of us find that that if you keep them correctly and that comes back to a video the video i just did and a podcast i just did about how to you know avoid defensive or quote-unquote aggressive behavior with them. If kept correctly, you don't see them all that much. They'd rather stay in their burrow. That's something you could explain to them too, that if kept correctly, the majority of old world species, you don't see all that often. And the ones that do come out are generally pretty bold and, and laid back. So for example, the H. pulcropies. The people I talk to that there's are out in the open, it's fairly calm and it'll just kind of calmly go back to their den. Or it might throw up, you know, some people have said they'll throw up a threat pose, but it's nothing major. That's not a spider that's going to bolt. If given room to burrow and to create a burrow and a hide, it's going to go into that hide when confronted. So that's something to explain. So again, it comes down to that education. And I am more than, I'll throw this out there too, because I've actually done it twice and with Good results. I think both cases it worked out. I've actually emailed and corresponded with spouses before because they want to talk to somebody that supposedly knows about them. I will not use the expert term because I don't believe in it and I'm not an expert, but I do think I have some experience with them and enough to be able to say, you know, all right, this is what you can expect. This is what will happen. But I've, I've spoken to spouses before and both cases it went really well and they thanked me. And in both cases, it turned out with the, you know, in one case, it was the husband that had to be convinced. And in one case, it was the girlfriend, I think. And in both instances, they were able to get the things and things went fine. So that's always out there. I'm, I'll extend that invitation to anybody that needs it. But when trying to convince, I think when trying to convince a spouse to get in old world, what needs to happen is they need to first get over the fear or apprehension of just having spiders in general. That needs to happen right off the bat. Once they're comfortable and I, you know, again, majority of spouses or loved ones, once they see you work with them, see how happy it makes you, they start asking the questions, they get a little more interested, maybe learn a scientific name or two. That's the point where they're kind of sucked in and realizing they're not that bad. Then you start educating them on the old world. So, all right, the only difference is that venom. Yes, they are known for being a little bit more defensive, a little bit more skittish. Obviously, the potential for the bite is, you know, excruciating pain, something nobody wants. However, if kept correctly, you're not going to see them all that much. If properly housed, they're not going to, A, they're not going to escape. B, they're not going to try to escape. They might come out roam during the night to look for prey, but then they're going to go right down that burrow as soon as the lights come on. With your rehousings, show them rehousing videos. Show people working with the species. I, I Again, I do the rehousing videos all the time. And it used to be something I was kind of self-conscious about because I'm like, all right, I'm Tom's big rehousings. It's all I do. But again, the reason is I want people to be comfortable with rehousings. I think people appreciate that. And the fact it allows me to show the spider without diddling it the whole time to get it out so I can get it on camera, which I don't believe in. So that's something right there. You can show people video of calm rehousing. Go look at these aren't the demons people think they are. Because again, a lot of this apprehension comes from the potential of the bite. And, you know, Get them used to that idea. Do some of the faster species. Show them that you can, you know, look at honey. If I do it in the bathroom, and remember, always little tip, hose down the tub beforehand. Get water on them. It slows them down even more. They can't climb. They can, they can climb out of the tub, but if you, you know, hose down the fiberglass, basically it makes it much more slippery. They have a harder time. They tend to climb up a little bit, slip down, climb up a little bit, slip down, which makes it easier to cup. Show them. Look at Here it is. Let it out. Let, you know, take one of them, show that it can't get up the, the enclosure, get up the side of the tub, cup it, show them that, look at, I got this down pat. The trick is it's going to take time. 
it's going to take trust on their part because they're trusting you right out, you know, flat out. They're trusting you that you're going to be able to keep this potentially dangerous animal in your home and not have it harm, you know, you, your children, your pets. That's, that's a lot of trust right there. And that's, uh, it's easy for me because I'm the one into the hobby to say that. But if I put, if I'm able to put myself in the mind of somebody else that's not into the hobby, that has to, you know, their husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it may be, wants to bring one in their home. That's a tough thing to get over because they are, they're wild animals and they have the potential to hurt us. And that's something we always need to keep in the back of our minds. We love them. We're not afraid of them. We know how to work with them. They're not a threat to us. Flat out. Anybody that's good at keeping, that has their rehousings down, that has their husbandry down, that has worked with spiders, they should not be a threat to us. A, a bite should not be inevitable. It should be completely avoidable. We know that. They don't. So it's convincing them and showing them. And a lot of it, again, it involves reaching out and showing other people that have kept them safe people. Don't don't show videos of the things escaping. I had somebody that tried to show their wife the one of the OBT. Get There's an infamous one out there. I think it's a couple kids and the OBT is just flying all over this room and they're trying to cop it and it's running all out. And they, he's like, yeah, I showed him this one to show. Look at it. it. Never bit them. And I'm like, that is the wrong one to show because that shows exactly how fast they could be. And at any point, those kids could have been bit. So show them the calm ones. You know, again, I do a lot of the calm ones. They just pick them up. And they're they're kind of boring for people that come and want to see, you know, the videos with the Benny Hill music kicks in, the spiders all over the place. I don't offer that. So feel free to show them some videos. Feel free to shoot me an email and go, hey, would you be willing to correspond with my spouse? I could explain some points. I'll answer them. I'm going to answer truthfully. You need to know that. So if they ask, could a bite hurt my cat? Yeah, the bite's going to hurt your cat. Cat's not going to die, but you're probably not going to enjoy watching your cat laying on the ground writhing in agony as it gets over the effects of the bite. So that's something I'd be happy to do, but just know I am truthful. I'm not going to lie. But the, the whole point, again, it comes back to education and patience and recognizing that the spiders aren't the, the most normal pet to keep and that if you have a spouse that's let you bring them in in the first place, that's a huge step. Still have a lot of people that their spouses won't let them have them. I have many people comment on my YouTube page, uh, our YouTube channel. I just got one the other day. I love watching these spider videos. Sadly, my wife won't let me have any yet, but I'm trying to work on her. Good, keep working. You'll get her eventually. And then once you see them get interested, start talking about them. When you're doing research, Bring them over. Show them what you're learning. Hey, H. Polker piece. Here's the video. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I will tell you that the more they're exposed to them, the more likely they are to finally turn around and go, all right, you can get this one. And we all know how it turns out with tarantulas when you're, you know, you start off with just one. It's going to blow up eventually. But it's up to you to show that you can do this safely, that your family, your pets, your children, your wife, nobody's going to be in harm's way. And it's kind of like it's the burden is on you to prove that. And I and I don't blame them at all for being worried about it because it's a natural worry. I did the same thing when I first started getting my old worlds. I started questioning myself. I had people, you know, every once in a while people email me, don't you worry about it. I don't anymore because I've, I've got the experience and realized they're really not that difficult to keep. But there was a point where I was worried about it, So I can certainly appreciate that a spouse would worry about it. So Dan, that was a really long-winded answer. I hope it helps out, but I don't think there's a, a simple cut and dry solution. I do think that honestly, I would be shocked from just what you've shared with me if uh, Mrs. Pompilli doesn't eventually, you know, give in and allow you to get one somewhere down the line. But I do think, obviously, she's shown herself open to it. You've got the spiders in the house. I do think at some point you'll get one, but it may take a little while. It may, um, you know, be something that it's, you know, you have to watch a couple of these guys go for sale and not be able to pick them up. But it sounds like you'll get there eventually, which is good. And then it's, you know, the... 
the responsibility is yours to make sure she doesn't regret it. And um, and if she's sitting right next to you listening to this with you, hello. And hopefully I presented an even, you know, argument here. I, again, it's, it's a tough one for me because I do get both sides of it. It's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, how dare you not let me? I, I get it. I do. And, and I just think that it comes down to marriage and living with somebody and obviously that level of trust that's required there. That's, that's, it's careful. It, it's important that you nurture that and don't break that trust and make sure that you don't have your hobby become, you know, a stressor for your marriage. And I've unfortunately been privy to situations where, you know, not with marriage so much, but, but people, you know, dating and stuff, it's become an issue. I, I do remember one issue where the wife was getting a little aggravated because his, his collection was spilling out into other rooms. And honestly, I didn't blame her. It was kind of a tough one to deal with. But I think it's important that she's shown she can trust you. She's shown that she can, you know, change her mindset on things. So it's important you kind of go with that, allow her to kind of open up on her own to this idea and feel comfortable about it. Because God forbid you you get her in a situation where she feels like she's kind of being forced into doing it or she's not totally okay with it and something goes wrong, nothing good's going to come out of that. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully for others that are going through the same thing, trying to convince their spouses to get, you know, old worlds. Again, there's no quick solution. I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't know how you guys' marriages work, and I don't want to be giving advice that it's going to get somebody in a fight with their spouse. But my big thing is thinking if the spouse lets you have tarantulas in the first place, and they've probably warmed up to them, eventually they will warm up the idea of letting you have maybe one old world to start off. And then if you do well with that, I'm sure it'll open up to other old worlds. That's the trick. But it's it's patience. It's patience for you. It's education for them. And take it slowly. Don't end up with hard feelings and don't end up with, you know, in marriage counseling, trying to explain to the marriage counselor that your wife is mad at you because your tarantula got out and bit your cat. So that will about do it for this one. It's a long one. I have been extending these. So for those of them paying attention, they were originally supposed to be a half hour long. I did get the bigger plan, so I now have four hours to play with. So I'm trying to shoot for, you know, 50 minutes to an hour or so. Although last week I kind of screwed up because I got billed for the extra hour, and then I think I only ran over by eight minutes. So I wasted a lot of time there. So maybe I'll do little ones in between or something. We'll figure something out. I don't want to waste any time because it's like I'm paying money for an hour of time and I'm not using it. So I'm trying to make them longer. And this honestly could have been two back in the day. It would have been, but you know, it sounds like a lot of people have, you know, long drives or things they're doing that they have the time to listen to them. So there you go. So anyway, that will do it for this one. As always, you can visit my channel, YouTube, you can visit my website, uh, Facebook. I got to go catch up with that in a minute. And uh, thank you all for listening, taking the time out of your day, whether it be morning, afternoon, or evening. I truly appreciate it, And we'll catch you all next time.